Trevor G. Blake, a serial entrepreneur and New York Times bestselling author who over the last 10 years has gone from starting his first business with just a few hundred dollars to creating and successfully selling and exiting three separate companies for over $300 million, all while never hiring a single employee and does this all working only five hours a day. Trevor grew up extremely poor and made the shift from humble beginnings to now achieving great success with balance. He has been featured in major media outlets such as Business Insider, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, CNN, Inc., and more. Trevor is also the author of Secrets to a Successful Startup, A Recession-Proof Guide to Starting, Surviving, and Thriving in Your Own Venture, and Three Simple Steps, A Map to Success in Business and Life. With all that being said, first and foremost, Trevor, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me. I, I, this really means a lot to me. Well, thank you, Martin. It's my, my, my pleasure. Thanks for the introduction. I, every time someone does an introduction like that, I think, I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> yeah. You just, your chest just get like all of a sudden, you just a little bit inflated. And yeah, you suddenly realize, God, that, that is quite a lot, really. Yeah. I think it's a mouthful. And I had a, one thing I would do if I were you, especially for video interviews, I would just, you know, I would just wave your hand through your hair. And as someone's reading this, and I think that's going to set the positive tone. It is real, by the way. It, it is, is no, it's yeah, and it's fantastic. <laughs> we were talking about it before the uh, before we started recording. I want to get right to it. How did you accomplish working five hours a day with with zero employees? Well, uh, so so the five hours a day is a, is a deliberate thing to keep peak brain performance. But I I, I developed that because I got burned out so quickly as an yeah. entrepreneur because I I'd had a fast track career. But you know, when I think about it now, looking back. To be honest, Martin, I probably spent 75% of my time sitting in a meeting room talking about nonsense. And then when you go to work on your own, I'm sat in front of the computer thinking I must be doing it wrong because I seem to have finished my work already. <laughs> and I'm sat waiting for an email to come through or waiting for the phone to go, you know, and, and, and twiddling my thumbs. And, and, I, and I realized that there's something different, being, you know, being in business by yourself. Yeah. So I did a lot of research. I, I'm a scientist by education. And so I, I like to know what, how and why things work. So I started to study what you know, people who went before me had done people like, you know, so, so like, you know, NASA requires its pilots only to work certain periods of time and all this kind of thing, peak brain performance. And so I realized that I could achieve, you know, 10 times as much working on my own at home than I ever could in the corporate office, but I didn't want to get burned out. So, so what I found was that the brain can't concentrate for more than two hours. So I gave myself a two hour productive period in the office. And then I would leave completely for two hours because I also found out that the brain's at its most creative when it's tired. So I kind of split my day up into a productive period, relaxation period where all the magic happens, right? All those great ideas, like being in, you know, we've all experienced being in the shower and you think, God, why haven't I thought of that before? <laughs> so I built those into my schedule. So the five hour workday is, and you, people can download this. I, I put a free download for everybody on my website, trevorgblake.com during COVID because so many people were moving from the corporate office to working from home without any instructions, without any guide. And you, you can get burned out. You can get really stressed. Yeah. And so if you split your day up into productive work periods and then stop and then go on for a walk and then, you know, for two hours or whatever, and then stop and then come back and do another two hour period, you'll find that you're 10 times more productive than you ever were in another setting. So that's, that's the five hour workday aspect of it. The no employees was for pretty much the same reason that I spent most of my uh, career holding the hands of employees and trying to make them happy and instead of talking about customer satisfaction, which is more important than product enhancement and stuff like that. So, so I decided to structure a, co a company based uh, with vendors and contractors instead of employees. I kind of did it because I didn't have a lot of money at the start and I couldn't really afford to hire a bunch of people, but it turned out to be a really profitable business. 
And so, you know, I have 76% net profits within two years. And wow. so I just kept doing that. So, you know, I'm on my seventh company now and I've built them all the same way, but I call it a model of alliances or a hub. And I've built them all the same way. And what it does is it frees me up to concentrate on growth because these people don't need supervising. You know, they're experts at what they do. So I will hire a company to be my manufacturer, another company to be my distributor, another company to be regulatory, et cetera, et cetera, finance and all the rest of it. And so all I have to do is be like a conductor of an orchestra. And just give a little guidance here and there and, and um, then focus on product and growth. So it, it, it enables an entrepreneur like myself to remain single, like a, you know, a sole entrepreneur, yeah. and, and to grow fast. And we live in a world of get big fast, so it works well. No, that's fantastic. And I feel what you've accomplished and what you continue to do is it's outside of traditional norms. Do you feel like COVID, I guess, because COVID to me – really shifted the mindset and proved that people can't, you can't accomplish more out of the office than actual sitting at a desk. But what are your thoughts on that? It, it's interesting because when I, I started my first company, I was a fit, I'm a late bloomer really. So I started in 2003. And, and uh, so, you know, since 2003 to now, it's a lot of companies in a short space yeah. of time. But I remember the cynicism of when I was trying to get investment. I remember all this, there were all the people saying, well, you need to open an office and you need to hire these people. You know, you can't do it on your own. And then, you know, I did the first company on my, on my own in a few years. I had a couple of hundred dollars when I started. I sold it for 105 million about Jeez. five years later or something. And then, and, and the same investors, you know, they, they were still shaking their heads and saying, well, you got away with it was their attitude. You got lucky. It'll never happen again. And so I keep doing it, but I still keep meeting the same cynicism, even though I keep repeating it and keep having these successes. Yeah. The same people are saying, that's not possible. And I'm saying, but the world is like this now. We have technology now that makes it possible. When yeah. I first started, it was still dial-up internet. It was harder. Now it's so easy. You know, you can start, you come up with a winning idea. You start a company. You can engage the world tomorrow just through your computer. Like, look, look what we're doing right now. This wasn't possible when I first started in 2003. Yeah. It was unimaginable, actually. And, um, and and now this is everyday occurrence. So, you know, but still like meet entrepreneurs who still, they start with this indoctrination of, I've got to hire, I, I, I only know this one side of the business, so I need to hire experts for all the other sides of the business. And that's, you know, you can get into trouble, with, you know, cash flow trouble quickly doing that. And I'm not saying that you, sh you should never hire anybody. I think different businesses get to a certain growth point where it makes more sense to hire. But I've, I've not come across a startup that needs to hire people straight away. And it's just about the entrepreneur having the self-confidence to educate themselves about the main issues and the main opportunities and all the different functions when you start. Because if you do it any other way, I, to me, you know, the, the sort of vision, visual I have in my head when, when most entrepreneurs I meet start a company and start hiring straight away is, you know, if you bought a new house, you wouldn't hire a full-time handy person to live in a spare bedroom in case something went wrong. But that's kind of what everybody's doing when they start their company. They hire all these people for two weeks. They're busy, and the rest of the time they're just playing on the internet because there's nothing to do. Because in the early days of a company, it's, you know the volume of work and everything yeah. is, is really squirrely. So I, you know, my, I encourage entrepreneurs to think to, to think differently at the beginning. Do you really need to hire a CFO? Do you really need to hire a head of software engineering and all this kind of stuff? You know, for a period of time, whatever that period is, you can get quite far without doing any of that. And then what you get to do is keep that cash, and that cash is so important these days. So. So it's all about really cash flow management. To me, it feels like one thing that's lacking or one thing that would drive that is people's confidence. And for you, I mean, it, it just seems just based on your backstory that you just really just jumped on, jumped in this opportunity or this, <laughs> just both feet in. 
But what's your advice to people who desire a balanced and successful life in conjunction with financial independence? Well, that's what I stand. That's what my message is about. And that's why I do what I do. I'm doing this thing right now. I meet so many entrepreneurs that work 16 hour days, but they're on the third marriage and the kids hate them and the dogs don't recognize them. And that is no way to live. Okay. I I was lucky until my wife died a year ago. I've been with, been together 40 years, 40 amazing years. But the reason it stayed amazing was that I never let work interfere with my personal life or vice versa. So when you're you're a sole entrepreneur and you're working from home, you've got to have a separate office office space. There's got to be ground rules that nobody can just come in and chat and have a coffee. You know, when you're at work, you're at work. I have separate devices for, for work and personal life so that they never cross over. And if you don't do that, of course, everybody falls for the same thing. You know, you're busy working, concentrating, and then you hear a ding or WhatsApp ding or something. You have to be really strong willed not to go and see what that is. And of course, it's likely to be a personal thing. Then you're distracted. You know, scientifically, it shows it takes 35 minutes to get back on track. As, as, as a single entrepreneur, you can't afford that. So, so when you're at work, you're at work. And so you have your work devices, which is what I'm on now. But when I go to play, I have a different device. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't and, and I lock them in. So at nighttime, this door gets locked and I'm not tempted to, to have that interfere. So it, it, it's, it's simple little discipline tricks. Uh, you, you know, I, I was a military guy, you know, so you know that, that we would, discipline's a big part yeah. of who we are. And it, and it becomes part of our DNA, and it's not natural to most people, but I got that from being in the Royal Navy, you know, how to discipline myself to keep on track with everything. And I think that's – I find that is a useful thing to pass over to, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and would-be entrepreneurs, the importance of discipline for everything. So tr- you, you treat your downtime and your quiet time just as importantly and with the same dedication as you do with your work time. And and you – but you are – like you would know with time, uh, for, you know, your, with your, your military um, experience – you know, you, you, you don't, you don't say, okay, we'll take about an hour to do this. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's an hour and you stop and then it's the next thing and you stop. And then, so that discipline is really important too. Uh, I really like what you said. It's about just kind of having that structure and, Hey, this is my work phone or, you know, I have this laptop and it is specifically for work or this is my office space. How has that impacted? Cause we talk about, we hear a lot about time management, but in terms of like focus, how has that mindset just really helped you with your energy management, which in turn has good or bad helped your business? Well, I, I think it's, I think it's the reason for my business success is, is that I, so I'm, you know, in my mind, I still think I'm 20 years old, right? But, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, but I still have a lot, I've got plenty of energy. I don't get burned out, which is really important, but I take care of myself too, which helps. And so, so my, my education is as a physicist, right? So I'm fascinated by energy. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm, most people would look at me and say, okay, he's a business guy. Okay. So he's a, he's a businessman. But when they get to know me, they'd say, oh, actually he's a bit metaphysical because, because I'm really into energy and how to play with energy. And when we understand that everything in the world is made of energy and how we interact with this gives us the results that we have today. So if we understand energy, maybe if we interact with it in a little different way, we get different outcomes. When you understand that and you play with that, and I have a, uh, if you read three simple steps, Mm -hmm. I talk about this, uh, how to play with energy differently and secrets to a successful startup. It's it's very different to what people expect in terms of starting up a company. We, We start internally, we start with our mind and our energy first before we even think of building an actual physical company. When you understand that and you go and, and, and work with that, you realize the importance of the structure and you realize the importance of doing things in a certain way, speaking a certain way, thinking a certain way, reading certain material. You know, you, you, your life becomes quite disciplined in order to have that balance so, so, so that you can, there's no point during the day where you think, I, I don't think I ever say to myself, oh, I feel tired. 
I don't think I've ever, I can't remember ever saying that because, because you're working with energy all the time. So you can feel when your energy is not at its best. And when it's not at its best, you do something to boost that energy. And these are things that you don't normally hear entrepreneurs talk about, but I will meditate. Okay. Or I will do yoga. I even do shamanic dancing. You know, I, I do different things during the day in order to keep, to get myself back to the level I want to be so that when I'm working, I'm really sharp. You know, I, so when I worked in the corporate office, I used to have a reputation for being a bit of a troubleshooter. So if people had a problem, they'd say, well, maybe Trevor has an answer. And they'd bring me into their meeting and I would know nothing. I couldn't understand what they were talking about, but I was able to kind of focus on the key issues that they were missing because they just tied themselves out meeting and talking and all the rest of it. And then everyone thought those guys are genius, but it wasn't that at all. It's just that I would, I knew how to work on my energy so that, so that I'm connected to you know, I didn't get distracted by all this, the silliness that goes around the meeting. And I would, I would be connected to the issue. And I would say, well, I think that, you know, I think it should be blue when everyone yeah. said it's green. And then they go, wow, yeah, it should be blue. That's genius. But it wasn't because I was a genius. It was just because my energy level was higher than everybody else's because I knew how to, I knew how to keep it high. I want to backtrack. You've mentioned a couple of times now the importance of discipline and just structure and something that you said you had learned from your time in the Royal Navy What's another life lesson that you learned during your time in the Royal Navy outside of discipline and structure that's helped benefit you today? Well, I think self-confidence, really. That I, I, uh, I think I probably got a bit arrogant when I was in the Royal Navy, a bit cocky. But the reason, <laughs> being that, the reason being that I joined as a kid, you know, like a 17-year-old kid who, from, from, from poverty. Um, and then I joined with all these rich, you know, dad's rich kids mm -hmm. type of people. I joined the, 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 the officer academy. And then I suddenly realized, hang on a sec, I'm as good as they are. And I didn't expect to be. I expected that I expected them to be like, like nine foot tall and super intelligent. And I realized that we're all the same and we're all making it up at the same time. And that really boosted my confidence. And when I've come into business by myself, I've realized that you're capable of it all. And, and so when I worked in the corporate office, I used to think, you know, at highest at the executive level, there must be it must be like a secret school or something where, where somebody goes to learn to be CEO. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I used to be really intimidated by the by like the managing director or the vice president. And then I got on a fast track career, and within a few years, I'm vice president of commercial development. And I kind of caught myself and stepped back and thought, how did that happen? And then I realized, and I look around, and everyone's making it up as they go along. Nobody knows anything. They're, they're all figuring yeah. it out, figuring it out, and trying to get away with it. And then, and I that that boosted my self confidence. So the self confidence I got in the military was so important to me because I because I wasn't afraid of trying things and taking things on. And then in the corporate career, I realized that most people are just faking it. And and I'm as I'm I'm, a, I'm I can BS as much as anybody. So I could get I could have a corporate career, right? Just by <laughs> being a good BSer. Yeah. Uh, and then when I started my own company, I realized well, there's there's nothing in being an entrepreneur that I can't figure out. And I really learned that from uh, meeting bunches of biographies of people. And, I, and a, a little light came on one day and I realized, hang on a sec, all these brilliant people from way back, like Madam C.J. Walker, who's one of my heroines, if you like, I'd love, oh, I wish I could meet her, but obviously, you know, she's from the 1800s, all the way to like Richard Branson. I realized that not one of them set out to be a successful entrepreneur. Not one of them had, you know, went to a school that said, okay, now I'm an entrepreneur. They all set about fixing something. So they would see something that they thought wasn't right. They would try to find a, you know, a solution for it, realize that the solution doesn't exist, so they fixed it themselves. Like at no point did Richard Branson say, I'd like to you know, run an airline. He wanted to get to see his girlfriend on a Caribbean island, and his flight got canceled. So he chartered the plane and then sold seats on the plane to pay for it. 
genius, really. But he just figured it out. He just fixed it. And so I realized that with being an entrepreneur and my self-confidence that I think I got from the military and elsewhere, the self-confidence was if I see a problem, even though I'm totally unqualified for this, I can figure out a way to fix it. And that makes me an entrepreneur by default. And that's what I try to get people to, you know, young entrepreneurs and, and, and would-be entrepreneurs to think about. Think about entrepreneurship in a different way. It's not about what you're good at. And it's not about what you think you love to do. It's about fixing stuff. It's finding problems and fixing it or finding something that doesn't exist and creating it. And you'll figure out how to do that. It just somebody has to start and everyone else will come around. And, you'll, you know, everyone, you'll, you'll be surrounded by brilliant people who make you look brilliant. But at the, the, the point that you're fixing something, you really don't know what you're doing, but you have the confidence to try. That, that for me, is, is what entrepreneurship is all about. I love that mindset, and that's not something I, I considered, right? Just just find a problem, and we see that with everything. Some of the greatest inventions or movements is someone's fixing a simple problem. I mean, uh, so many things that we take for granted today, but at one point, we're cutting-edge technology. Uh, with that, I want to also go back and talk about, because you mentioned earlier about people who are working 16 hours a day. They don't have a, a, a strong family relationship. The dog does not recognize who they are. And I've seen that countless times, whether it's in the corporate world or I'm active duty military. I've seen it, you know, on the military side, people burning the, the midnight oil or candle with that. And part of that, too, is just pe people feel like they have to work that much in order to mm. achieve their overall goals. But I, I want to explore how important is it for people to define what their rich is? Because we see people like, oh, I need to make my goal is to have $2 million. And then they, I think maybe they reach that goal and then they're not happy. But what is your thought mindset on defining your rich and how do you find your personal rich? And not in terms of money, but just in fulfillment. No, it's, all right. it's, it's it, a lot of people don't like talking about money because they think it's crass, but money is just energy. It's just a, so a, a, all, the whole of the universe is made of energy, just showing itself up in different forms. And so you convert labor into payment, which is then converted into a money form, which you then convert into yeah. something else. It's just, it's just conversion of energy. And you have to get used to talking about it because in business, one day you're talking about $200 and the next, you know, a year later you're talking about 200 million. I mean, that's how quickly things move these days. So you have to get comfortable with it. Otherwise it'll, it'll pass you by. You know, you mentioned goals a few times. You say, I don't really believe in goals and I've never really had goals or followed goals. I, I'm an, I, 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 my thing is intentions, which are completely different. Mm -hmm. So goals are a little bit like stepping stones across a pond. Okay. You know where you're going and you know, it's, and, and they, people talk about them being, you know, believable to be achievable and all this kind of nonsense. I've never followed any of that, but I understand why people do that. But if you want to go from, from starting to let, let's use a, a real life recent example, like mirror.com, which is the fit, the big mirror fitness thing. I mean, there's a wonderful entrepreneur. She came up with the idea, I think around Christmas Eve, she sold it less than two years later for 500 million. That's the opportunity that exists today with technology and everything like that. She didn't start off saying, how do I get from here across this pond by the stepping stones? If she set goals, she never would have made it. What she did was she set an intention and she had the intention that this would be taken up by a major store in the United States and that they would, you know, they'd buy her out, which they did for 500 million. Um, Lululemon bought, bought her out, who was one of the original investors in it. You know, that's an intention going from zero to 500 million. A goal is going from where I am now to 2 million. 2 million is nothing today. That's not rich. The official definition of being a multimillionaire today is to have 30 million, 30 million in, in uh, you know, rapidly liquid assets. If you I like didn't know that. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, when I was growing up, nobody knew a millionaire. No one could conceive what a millionaire would be like. You know, that we imagined it'd be a man in a fur coat with a hat and a cigar. <laughs> you know, I mean, because because a million was so much. Well, today there's 500 million millionaires. Today it's not that much. And so, and so, you know, most people are talking about, you know, that they talk about billions. Like when I was growing up, we used to talk about about millions. And so, a billion is an intention. And if that sounds crazy for people who are, who are listening to this, the average age of a first-time self-made billionaire is still 63 years old. So, so it's you know, it's it's still it's you know, a lot of people think, oh, a billionaire is like 25 years old now, and you've got some kind of technology thing. It's not. It's, it's still the same as it used to be. Financial independence is not, in my opinion, like the summit of a mountain that you climb to and you get there and you go, hey, I'm I'm here, I've done it. Because the minute you do that, you stagnate the energy and it all all leaves you. So financial independence is about getting to a, to a point where the energy of money flows through your life at such a high rate that you live this light life of the billionaire, if you like. So if you take, again, I'll take an example like a Richard Branson. Your Richard Branson doesn't have a Hogwarts vault where he sits on gold coins. You know, he makes some money and then he says, okay, now where does this money energy go? And he starts something else. And then that grows and he sells an excess and he starts something else. And that's what I've done with my, my businesses. So... Uh, my current uh, business number four, I'm, I'm in negotiations to exit that now. And the negotiations will take probably a year to 18 months from this point in time. It's a billion dollar exit. Now, I don't get a billion dollars because I have right. investors. I'll make a lot of investors very happy, smiling from ear to ear. But I'm also enjoying that process too. So, so when people look at me, they'll say, oh, look, that guy's a billionaire. But it isn't a thing. That guy lives the life of a billionaire because that kind of money is now flowing through his life. And the more you let it flow, the more flows. So a lot of people, again, young entrepreneurs don't get this and they so they say okay i want to be rich and they think okay what's rich oh it's at like a station on a railway track it's two million or five million but th that's not rich that's when you when that happens if if you get to that point and then you put your arms around it and embrace it or stuff the cash under the mattress it loses all its energy it stagnates and it starts to leave you so you have to change your mentality completely about money and energy so that you, you talk about i am financially independent which means that I'm living this life where I'm making multi-million dollar decisions every day. And that's great fun, right? Yeah. And it's, 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 much, it's much better than thinking about goals and, and then you, the, your mindset is about, okay, my credit card, I've got to pay off my credit card this week. You know, you have to really shift your mindset away from, from the, a sense of lack to a sense of flow. And it's three simple steps. My book, Three Simple Steps, tells you all, everything you need to know about, my, I don't get any money for it. I, all my proceeds go to cancer research and development. So. So I don't, I don't, I'm quite happy, you know, you know to, to say, go get the book and um, it'll change your life. Yeah. And I'm going to have all these, all your books and all your content uh, and website and everything and social media uh, links down in my, my show notes. And it's funny, you talked about the difference between setting intentions versus goals. I will say, so I had two questions. Uh, literally, how did you go accomplish working five hours a day with zero employees? That was one of the, right, which was the first question, how this conversation got started without me even asking the second question that I planned, the second question I was going to ask, and the only other question I was going to ask is, let's, can you please discuss the difference between setting intentions versus goals? But just conversations kind of, the energy flowed to intentions versus goals. It's very important. It's very, very important because, because an intention is so huge from where you are right now that you'd be embarrassed to tell anybody else in case they laughed at you. Okay. Whereas goals, you'll talk about goals all day long. We do goals in, in business, you know, with forecasts and budgets, which none of us ever meet. And, and you know, we, that, that's a normal part of life. But, but intentions are this thing that's inside you that matches your motivation and who you are, that takes you from where you are to where you really wanted to be when you were five years old. Yeah. Okay? Whatever it may be. And then when you think like that, 
it, your stomach starts to churn it with this kind of excitement, this sense of awe. Yeah, the energy, um, the butterflies. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you get it and you wake up fully excited. And when I wake up every morning, you know, with intentions, you have to, there's, there's, there's a sequence to them. There's a formula. Everyone now knows where to go to get that formula, right? TrevorGBlake.com. I call it the five P's. But it, but this this but you have to understand kind of the science behind it. They're scientifically based. Okay, it's not new age, feel good thinking, and then it, it's not positive thinking, which is nonsense. You can, there's no such thing as positive thinking because the thoughts are formed in 500 milliseconds. You don't have time to get in front of them. But what you can have is positive reactions. So you can have a thought about your credit card debt, and you go, "Oh God, what a mess! How did I get into it?" Catch yourself doing that. Change it around and start to think and imagine what it'll be like when you're financially independent and you buy a bottle of champagne with cash and have all your friends around to celebrate, you no longer have any debt. That's a very, that's, that's how an intention differs from the goal. Cause it, cause you, you, with an intention, there's no time involved. So you imagine what life is like a day in the life of me. Once my intention is achieved, how does that feel? And when you do that and you feel it now, you speed up the process of getting it. It comes to you. And uh, it's a beautiful process. It works all the time. I have a great like, recent example. The uh, guy joined my course, Transformation, up to his neck in debt. We talked about it. I, yeah. talk, I talked to him about changing his mindset. He just did his first deal for $250 million, two years later. And all he did was change his mindset, just change the way he was thinking and, and go away from goal setting and, and trying to get out of a situation that you don't want and then focusing on what you want, but this massive thing that he wouldn't dare tell anybody and not only did he achieve his intention in terms of the number but he he, he wanted to achieve it in another country so he actually achieved it in the country of his dream and I, I get these things all you know all these emails all the time but it's good to talk about it because it's one thing for me to say it because people will say yeah it's easy for you to talk about because you've done it right but i've only done it i've only done it because i learned of these things when i was little when i was young i was i was i used to hide out in the town library because i was getting bullied and I would hide, I'd wait till the bullies got tired and went home for dinner. And so I just read books. And so I read biography after biography after biography. And then I realized that this is what these great people do from, from all of them, from Madam C.J. Walker to Henry Ford to, to, to all of them. This is what they did. They thought this way. And I, I figured out as a young kid that if it worked for them, who am I to say it wouldn't work for me? So I just copied. I just did the same thing. And that's, that's, what, and that's what three simple steps are. The three simple steps are these three attitudes and way of behavior that the people who went before me all did in the, did naturally. And I've just copied what they did and, and, and a life of tremendous adventure and fun as a result of that. It's really resonating. It's kind of, it's, it's opening up my mind because I've never thought about the, just the, the positive reactions or intentions versus goals and energy flow. You mentioned just growing up and bullies and reading books in the library I have a four-year-old son, and every day it's something different. What he dresses up as, so he does the dresses up as the cowboy, as a fireman, astronaut, every single a superhero, every single day. I've seen this. I think we all have. As people get older, they lose that sense of who they are because they're being totally. shaped by the environment, surrounding the corporate world. But yeah, just as as time goes on, it's easy to get lost and into a very routine and mundane cycle. How can people take back control of their individuality? That is a brilliant question, and that is that is probably the golden question. I think, to be honest with you, Martin, and and it's something that I'm, I'm passionate about. It's one of the reasons I do what I do. We all lose our sense of individuality very quickly in life, yeah. and it's not anyone's fault. It's not our fault. It's not our parents' fault. It's not the school's fault. That's the world we live in. But because we don't know that we have control, because because we don't know the 
the, that we have the ability to rewire our neural networks, okay? We're not taught that at school. We're not taught that at home. And so we become a product of our environment. We start to take on the same sort of opinions that our parents have or the same sort of um, values as the school says we have and stuff like that. And, and if you don't manage your own mentality, then you do become that product environment. And I call it, you end up back in quicksand. So you end up in this really comfortable place where you're surrounded by people who are very similar to you and you all feel good together. But then one day you might wake up and you might say, oh my goodness, I'm 40 years old. What happened to my life? I, I, I love what your son is doing because as a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. It was the first, you know, man was going on the moon for the first time and I was blown away by all of that. And, and you very quickly lose all sight of that to the extent that when I was a, at school, the careers counselor that we had, you know, she looked me up and down and assessed me and looked at my background. And so she, she said, you know, I think your best opportunity here is an apprentice manager in a chicken packing factory. That's how she saw me. That's what, that's what my life was going to be like. And I, I actually said to her, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be an officer in the Royal Navy. And she laughed. She laughed out loud at me because that's impossible for somebody from my background, right? But, but through the biographies, I learned that this is what everybody else had faced, the laughter of everyone around you, the, 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 the lack of, of – and it wasn't always out of maliciousness. So it wasn't because they didn't like you. Oftentimes it's because they loved you and didn't want you to make a fool of yourself. Okay, they want to protect you. Well, yeah. you know, tone it down a bit. Tone it down a bit. You know, be an accountant. You know, what do you, what, what do you mean you want to be an actress on stage? You know, no, <laughs> no one makes money as an actor. You know, be an accountant. That, so we're, we're surrounded by that. So what you have to do is you have to then realize that's happening. Realize that that's affecting your thoughts and that your thoughts are energy and they go out to the universe. Energy can only be converted. It can't be destroyed or created. And so it comes back as more of the same thing. So if you keep, if you think, you know, if you have a sense of lack, if you think of debt, you're going to get more debt. If you, if you think, um, I can't do it, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to get more, you get stuck. And so once you know that and you start to react to the thoughts that you're having and you think in a different way and you start to imagine success, no one needs to know you're doing it. But you, I have a technique called a mini mind movie where you imagine what your life is like in this magical place that you can get to. When you start to do that, it has a tremendous effect on the outcomes in your life. And you do, you start to get out of the quicksand. And then everybody around you looks at you and says, hang on, who, who do you think you are? Come back, you know, get back in the quicksand. You know, who do you think you are putting your, putting your head above the crowd and everything? And so it takes a little bit of work and a lot of discipline, but eventually you get away from that. And, it, and, and uh, you know, the elastic band of people pulling you back, that snaps. And, and you're off and running, like the, the chap I just mentioned before. Yeah. You know, all of, his, all of his family said, what do you mean you're giving up your corporate job? You've got you, you're on a you know he's he's on a six figure salary he's got a spec expense account he's got a company car he's got everything he can possibly want but he wanted to create something he wanted to to invent something and everyone say no don't be you know it's crazy and everything even even when he started his own company for the first six months his previous boss who was glad to get rid of him tried to hire him back about five or six times. And it would have been so easy for him just to say, because it was hard in the first six months. It'd be so easy for him to have said, do you know what? I will go back because my family's giving me a hard time. My friends are laughing at me. It's not going well. But he stuck with it. And, and eventually, if you stick with it and you keep using these tools and techniques, you free yourself from all of that. And he became his own person. And he said to me in an email, uh, you know, he, he feels he's been reborn. Like, this is who I was when I was born. And I forgot, I forgot who I was. And I'm, I'm back, I, was, I was born to be creative, and I'm, I'm being creative as an entrepreneur. And so getting back your individuality, but, but there's things you have to do. You have to understand how energy works, and you have to start to recognize your own thoughts and then change them and react to them and use your imagination because the brain is scientifically shown. The brain can't tell the difference between what's real and what's imagined. So if you keep imagining something you want, 
you, you, you over a period of time, you stop living the life you don't want. And those things you want start to appear in your life. It's a, it's a magical process. It's beautiful. But, uh, so you, I mean, you, I think you hit the nail on the head talking about, you know, losing sense of identity really through life. I appreciate it. Th- thanks for the feedback on that question. Man, I, I feel like we were at a pub right now, just having, uh, just having a pint. <laughs> this, is, this is a good, great conversation. And actually, I, I love the quicksand reference just because I'm someone who's a dreamer. I, I'm one of those, one of those people that thinks like if someone says you only have a point one or point zero 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 one percent chance of winning the lottery or making it big, I feel like, well, why can't it be me? I mean, it's gonna, it's going to be someone, and I feel like I'm one of those people that those good things happen to because I want it right. But you, you, you talked about, but one thing I've noticed, and it, it ties into what you were saying with the quicksand reference, is it's a mindset, and we can be physically supported by people and physically supported because they're in our presence. However, even though they're physically in, their presence is there, they're, for lack of a better term or phrase, they're being haters. They don't understand, and they can't grasp what you're trying to do, or they feel threatened. So when you're trying to soar, they want to drag you back down. Yeah. What is your advice or how have you, what's been a best practice? How did you find support in the moments when not physically, but maybe emotionally you felt lonely? It is uh, that's a brilliant question, Martin. It's a lonely path. And I talk about this a lot, but the path to success is not very well trodden. It's uh, it's surprising. And, and what I found, and this, I, so in my course transformation, on the very first activity, I, I, I kind of have a disclaimer type warning in that if you don't want change, don't go any further because everything in your life will change when you decide to take control of your own destiny, everything. So you will probably, in all likelihood, you'll end up living in a different place. In all likelihood, the circle of friends you have right now will completely change. And it's not that you have to kick them out. They will lose interest in you because you're no longer interested in the same stuff as they are. You're no longer satisfied sitting on the sofa watching a reality TV show. You want to read something stimulating. You want to read about an entrepreneur or an adventurer or a musician or an artist, you know, depending whatever you're into. And suddenly other people look at you differently. And I found that in my life. So, so first of all, my father started to look at me differently and, uh, and, and there's their issues started at that point. And then my friends didn't even know what to talk to me about anymore. So, you know, cause they just, they were, they were doing the same thing as they've always done sitting in the pub drinking. And I, I wanted to do, I wanted to adventure. I wanted something in my life. So, so I found there is a very lonely time, but then what happens is you find that you attract to yourself another group of people who will support you at this new level that you're at. And then you decide you want to go to another level and then they go away and another group of people come in. And if you're lucky enough as I was to have a constant through that. So I had my wife for all 40 years through that. We met, we met when, uh, when uh, we were 19 years old, I was in the Navy. She was a nurse. You know, she was always my sort of, uh, I I was just happy to be with, be with Lynn. I didn't need anybody else. So it's just the two of us. We were fine. And she used to say the same thing. So we never, we never felt lonely on that, but, but because I meet a lot of people who start this program later in life. So like they could be 40 or 50. I've got one guy who's 87. Wow. And just started, just started his company, his first company, uh, ex professor of economics at North Carolina university, just started his first company. And he says, he feels like a kid again. He feels like life has now been worthwhile. Yeah. Can't understand why he didn't start 30 years ago. So you just do it. You know, when, when these things happen, everything around you changes. And so if you're lucky to have somebody who can be with you through that, that's a bonus and a fantastic thing, but you have to be prepared for the fact that that might not be the case. And that for a period of time, you're going to feel like it's just you against the world, but it doesn't last long. Once you, once the success starts to come your way, you know, 
people who are used to success, they come into your life and they don't come in like the old guys would cut like the guys in the pub for me. They'd be complaining about the weather and complaining about this, complaining about that. They don't have enough money, taxes, all the rest of it. You know, like now this new group of people are coming in and saying, have you thought of doing this? They have a completely different mindset, not complaining about anything, but looking at opportunities and looking for new ideas and um, sharing best practices and stuff like that. So everything changes, but you have to be prepared for that. And a lot of people don't like change. So, so that's my kind of warning in my course transformation. You know, if you, if, if you're not ready for change, don't go any further. I'll give you your money back. Um, <laughs> cause it, cause everything will change. Your whole life is going to change for most people. That's a good thing. Okay. For most people, they want that. They want to be financially independent. They want to have inspiring people around them. They want great relationships. Whereas their experience up until this point in time is probably the opposite of that crap relationships, always in debt, surrounded by complainers, all that moves away. And, and a more enlightened sort of world comes to you. And it's, it's a lot more fun, I can tell you that. And, and you have this kind of sense of eternal youth. I, I, the one word I won't allow people to use around me is retire. You can't use that word. There's no such thing. You know, you can keep going. Next thing, next thing, next thing. It's just fantastic. It's so much fun. You're right. Change is scary. Well, I, I find with change in my experience that there's two mindsets really with it. It's scary for those who are comfortable, who have a pretty good life, they have a great routine Routine in terms of there's a lot of safety and complacency and comfort. So change is scary for people. Change is also exciting for people who maybe just want to get out of a, a dire situation or they feel like things cannot improve. But I did want to ask, just based on what you were just talking about, in one word, what is the secret? What is the one word? If you can only use one word to describe this, what is the secret to those in need of healing? And moving forward or kind of in big need of a change with the intent of making a positive impact on the world? It's just to seek joy instead of pain. I mean, it really is a choice. It's it's absolute choice. And, it's and you know, people look at it and they – as humans, we're very good at making things complicated. And we really – if something's really complicated, we assign a value to it. And if something's really simple, we admit we ignore it and dismiss it. Everything that I'm talking about is the simplest thing in the world. You just change the way you think. That's it. That's it. That's that's it, right? And so you seek out things that fill you with joy instead of things that give you give you pain. I mean, I, I'm not trying to sound judgmental here because you know, going back to the to the previous uh, question and conversation, if you're comfortable and you don't want change, that's fine. That, there's no judgment there. That's your decision. Make a decision and you'll be happy. Most of the most of the misery in the world is caused by indecision. People saying, "I, I want to, but I can't." I wish I could, but I just don't think I can. And that causes real frustration in people's lives. So, so you know, as long as you make a decision, and then if someone else says, well, actually, I'd like to go on this adventure, and, and, and rather instead of saying, well, who does he think he is, you know, yeah. but you say, okay, good for you, I support you, that, that's fine. You know, but what typically happens is, is the opposite, obviously, as, as, as we know. So, so for me, it's all about seeking things that, that make you joyful. And for a lot of people, that is not the life they have right now. And, and you know, you do have to be grown up about it. You have to sit down and say, and, and I, I have an exercise for this. You sit down and you really consider things and you, you, you figure out if there were no impediments in life, none at all, people, money, circumstances, country, race, whatever, there's no impediments to me. What would I choose to be? What would I choose to do? That's usually very different than where they are. Uh, but you do have to do it. And then when you, ha- when, you, when you figure that out and you say, all right, do I want to do that? or not that that's the big decision you have to make so you have to make a commitment and you write it down and it's like a covenant and and once you've made the commitment one way or the other 
then there's no going back. Earlier in the episode, you talked about the proceeds and the, the money from the book. It's go. Uh, do you mind just kind of expanding on? You talked about the cancer research. Do you mind just kind of going deeper into that? Yeah, well, that's, there's two things. That's one of the nice things about having money flow in your life is you can do all the things you used to dream of doing when you were a kid. So, my mother died of cancer when I was young, and uh, she had, you know, she she had so much grace uh, dealing with her. I learned everything I've learned in life, everything I've achieved is down to what I learned watching and observing my mother and watching and observing my wife, two amazing feminine spirits that I hope one day I'll get like 10% of that in my life. And then I'll, I'll be the richest man in the universe. Um, <laughs> That's your you know, rich so, right so, there, right? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I could get 10% of their intuition, wow, nothing could hold me back. So, so, so I was always, I was always fascinated with finding, so she handled her cancer with grace, but the side effects from the treatments were awful. You know, just, they just, took her womanhood away, took her power away. And I watched it diminish over time, obviously, as, as, a, as a kid growing up. So I've always been fascinated by developing treatments for cancer that don't take away the quality of life. They don't debilitate the patient. So that's what I've been working on on the side for my, my whole life. And we have, we're in clinical trials with, with uh, one right now that can treat certain cancers without any side effects. That's an amazing thing. Everybody told me it's impossible. Every, and they still do today, even though I'm proving it's not impossible that is possible so so i I, a lot of a lot of what i a lot of the money flow that comes in my life goes to achieve that on a non-profit basis i want this to be available to anyone who has cancer you know so those can who can afford it it's only like 30 dollars, and those who can't they get it for free um disrupting the pharmaceutical industry is how how i kind of look at it but i also have an animal sanctuary so a lot of my proceeds from from like the transformation experience go to the animal sanctuary because i've always been a lover of animals grew up in the countryside it's hard not to be you know so so uh, i have a, a small scruffy animal sanctuary uh, up in washington and uh, we take all we take uh, any scruffy animal <laughs> with any number of legs <laughs> and uh, and we try we try to rehouse them rehome them and so what what i what we do in that is there's a lot of seniors in the world who are afraid of having an animal because what happens if I die is how they're thinking and i can't afford a vet bill and i can't afford the food so we provide all of that we provide the pet to the senior, we pay for the vet, vet bills, we pay for the food, and we provide pet walkers and pet carers and stuff like that, so that the senior, the senior human and the senior animal get to live out a life of love without having to worry about a thing. And and so that's something I felt that was a fix. Right? I saw that uh, as something I couldn't understand why that didn't exist. And so in the, in the end, I've gone to fix it myself in a small way. Hope I'm planning to expand in the next few years. It's beautiful. Everyone wins. You know, the animals win, the human wins, and and. You know, I, I get to ch- channel some of this money energy into a good cause. No, that, uh, that's fantastic. And that's beautiful. And, you know, I was doing a lot of research about you over the past couple of days, and that's something I actually did not come across about the, the animal sanctuary. So it's called, actually, you, you could look it up online if, anyone's in, if anyone loves animals like I do. It's called Fluffs, because my wife used to call all animals Fluffs. So it's called <laughs> F L U F F S Inc.com. Oh, perfect. So Fluffs Inc.com. On that and note, you can see our current. We change it every every week, you know, depending on who's the residents and who's. Who, it's like a, it's an in and out sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> no, on that, you're you're involved in a lot of different things, and you have a lot of good things going on. If people want to learn more about you, what's the best place to find you? Uh, TrevorGBlake.com is where is the portal for everything. You can if you know you can get the books there, you can get the courses there. But this, I put so much free stuff on there. There's, there must be a thousand articles. This, um, I'm, I can't remember how many podcasts I've done over the last few years, but but the, you know it's a place where I, I hope people go and, and get something and and 
you know, and it changes your life. It changes the way, if, if all it does is change the way you're currently thinking to a way that is going to bring better outcomes to your life, then everyone wins. So, so trevorgblake.com, it's a beautiful website put together by a, a brilliant digital team called um, Living Brightside, who I met just a couple of years ago. And uh, everything on there is authentic. So every picture is somewhere where I grew up, every, every, including the house that I grew up, that's on there too. Every testimonial on there is somebody who spontaneously sent me, uh, inf- you know, like a feedback. And I asked them, can I use this? And then they said, yes. And I said, but for it to be genuine, I need a picture. So, so people have genuinely said, I'm proud for you to use this because I want other people to get the same experience. So it's a, it's a great place to hang out, trevorgblake.com. Love it. One bonus question. You said, uh, I believe you're in Southern California. Is that correct? At the moment, At yeah. the moment. Well, let's just pretend that you're driving on either whether it's the 405 or the 101. And like most times, it's jam-packed, a lot of traffic. <laughs> let's just say you're driving on one of those highways where everyone's on those highways. There's a big traffic jam. There's a giant billboard with your beautiful picture on it and your leadership or whatever message you want passed on for everyone to see, uh, what would you want that message to say? It would be the same as, as the mission, vision values of all seven companies that I've, I've built. And that is make a positive difference in someone's life, have fun doing it and share in all the rewards, material and otherwise that come naturally as a result of setting that energy inflow. Perfect. Mr. Blank, thank you so much just for your insight, your wisdom, just all that you do. It was, this is fantastic. And I'm, I'm truly humbled just to have this conversation with you today. Well, thank you, Martin. A brilliant question. So I wouldn't be humble if I were you. They was, they were very insightful. Thank you. No, I was going to, I always like to get feedback just kind of on how, so one thing that I do is I do comedy improv just kind of as a, as an outlet, because when you do improv, you have to listen and pay attention to what your other teammates are doing because you're building scenes or ad- adding to the scene, there's no script. And for me, I've done it for probably about the past five or six years, and it's helped me become a better listener. I didn't realize that's not at first. So the, that was a bonus. I did this just yeah. to get my mind off because of, I've been very stressed out with work and just a lot going on. So it's a great because when I'm doing that, I'm thinking about I'm focused on just in that moment, in that present. But in turn, it actually has made me a, a better listener. So I've just I've done that, and then. I leverage that to, I love doing this. I love doing podcasting as well. It's something very passionate about and just spreading the mentorship message. But I always like to get feedback on how my questions are, especially since they're not planned. It's just me listening to the conversation and just, I mean, again, just like if we're at a pub or if we're at some beach grill in Malibu, just, you know, having some drinks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it works. I mean, I, I don't script anything. So, so uh, on, on any of my podcasts as well, or any of my um, Zooms that I do, my, I have a guild, like a group of yeah. um, like-minded wizards. Um, <laughs> and I don't script anything because I always feel when you do that, you have a preconceived notion of a message. And so, you, so everyone gets a two-dimensional experience. Whereas if it's free-flowing, free association, it's multi-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, it's like you don't know you don't know where did that idea come from, where did that vision come from, where did that visual come from, or where did that that example come from. You know, if you if you're scripting, that doesn't seem to happen to me. So I I, I like it being free association like this. Uh, uh, thanks for that feedback. That's man, I've learned I've learned a lot today. I've taken a lot away a lot of stuff. So fine, this was great. Just chatting is great. That's yeah, it. no, I, I'm, uh, I'm happy to do this again sometime. Yes, I mean, sir. I, I think I think the the five hour workday is is 
a little difficult for a lot of people to grasp. And, um, and so sometimes, sometimes it's good just to talk about that. Uh, it's called the practical magic of the five hour workday. And it's, it's life changing for a lot of people because, you know, you get your family back and you get your life back and, uh, and you, and you actually do much better at the job. So, so, uh, I, I hope that gets into as many hands as possible. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. We'll do that's, uh, no, for sure. I'll make that happen. All right, everyone, that wraps up another episode of Passing the Torch Podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Mr. Trevor Blake. If you want to know more about him, you can find his information in the show notes. A lot of great information from this podcast, and I hope you found uh, this content beneficial. If you did, please consider subscribing. Passing the Torch can be found on most podcast platforms. Hope you enjoyed, and remember, vision, relate, develop. Take care, everyone. Foster out.